0: Able to get actually give them more than they had, were uh, asking for, um, and uh, the the school there that that school is right in the center of the Muslim community. It is um, all around them. In fact, the majority of those kids that come to that school and stay there because it, it is boarding, and we not only built restrooms but showers and so forth as well. Um, those kids come from Muslim homes and every, every day they have chapel and they teach God's word and uh, the result of it is we see that, that these kids are coming to Christ and bringing Jesus back home. So some amazing things are happening and we're really grateful for that. Um, grateful to you. I, um, before I, we get into our study I want to bring up uh, something that has uh, recently been brought to my attention. And, and actually, I, I've, it, it, it's one of those things that you see, but you kind of don't notice, if you would. Um, I, um, uh, since actually COVID started, in the last two years, there has been a cultural change in our country. But not just, you know, in our country, in the church. I mean, there, it, it has... Uh, it has come to all of us. And one of that, the cultural change, comes from the, the, the new term we learned two years ago, social distancing. And social distancing has caused us to be um, you know, really distant in a lot of ways. And you find it wherever you go, that when people were absolutely way more friendly, um, there's a concern and people back up and people don't shake hands and, and all of those things. And there's understanding to that. There's concern about catching things and all of that. Um, but what the, the cultural change in our church has been that um, we're not as friendly as we used to be. And um, I had a conversation with someone who uh, has been to our church in the last several months and loves the church, loves our worship, loves the, you know, the, the teaching, loves that, everything in the church. But they made a statement, and it wasn't critical, it was in context of what we were talking about. And uh, they said this, um, he said him and his wife have been coming, and he has had not one person come up and, and introduce themselves to them as they've been new in the church. Other than the pastoral staff, and that's not an indictment. Um, It's it's a it's some because this is what I said. I said that is not the culture of the Cornerstone. We have always been known as a very friendly church, but this is something that has, over the last couple years, affected us, and actually, I think we're not even fully aware of it, and. And I understand that we, you know, um, we, we've had to, you know, even talk to, with some folks that, you know, are ready to give hugs to everybody even if they don't know them. And we go, hey, hold off, okay? Not everybody's ready for a hug or a handshake. You know, wait for them to be ready for that if that's what they want. And you're I'm talking about the greeters and so forth. So I understand. I'm not, I'm not trying to... Um, Bringing an uncomfortableness to us in or in, to or to anybody, we especially if they're new, we don't if we don't know them to come and you know, kind of be like we were fully is a little intimidating at this point. But we cannot, we cannot come and be isolated. We we can't we can't fully allow that which I think has been perpetrated. By the enemy of our soul, to then cause a, a different kind of behavior in us that isn't us. The cornerstone has always been a friendly, and that that is something I hear all the time. When I came here, so many people were so friendly and so you know so willing to you know greet us and make us feel welcome. and And uh, can we can we be aware of that and uh, maybe be a little bit more in by Now, I don't want any new person that came this morning to be inundated by several hundred people, but, you know, a little balance, but, but we're, we're, we're aware of. And if you see somebody that you have never met, don't know, maybe they've been coming for a while, maybe it'd be good that you come and social distance, but talk to them, Right? And greet them, and and maybe hopefully get to know them. No face talkers, okay? <laughs> if you're a face talker, back up. <laughs> but you understand, okay? I, that's just a pastoral encouragement, if you would. All right, let's 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 be who we've always been. That has made us such a special church, and that is because we've always been that friendly, caring congregation. So. Um, Let's not let this do any more damage than it's already done in our, in our church, okay? <clears throat> We're in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. <clears throat> and I'm I, I just calling it, take it up a notch. <clears throat> As we've been studying this, we've found that our position is in Christ Jesus, and that is an important place. It's also our identity is in Christ Jesus. And last week we talked about the kind of life we live, that the Bible says that our life needs to be a life that is, that, that is holy unto the Lord, that we, we live a life as unto Christ, separated unto God, and in that life that we live that's separated unto God, we, we, we do it because of who we now are. Not who we're becoming, but who we are already in Christ Jesus. And he uh, we says, we, we don't act the way the world acts because that's not who we are anymore. And that was the point. And so in verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ, could you say that with me? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, I could just go home now because that's enough for us to chew on and live on for the rest of the year, actually, because there's a foundational principle of allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in us. Now, to dwell is to to have center place in our life. Let the Word of Christ have center place in our life. And then richly means abundantly. So, so in abundance we are to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. That means we get the Word of God in us, the Bible, we get the Scriptures in us. We hear what God has to say through, through the, the Scriptures and we ca- allow that to dwell in us in abundance. It's always a rich thing to be around an individual who has the word of Christ dwelling in them richly. Because when it's dwelling in you richly, you can't keep it in. It always seems to spill out. And it spills out in many ways as you're communicating, as you're talking, as you're sharing, as the scripture you know, comes to your mind as you're in conversation. And, and that richness isn't just in you, it comes out. Of you as well and affects not only yourself but affects other people's lives. You can always see as individuals as we get the Word of God and Word of Christ in us. And that means this, that means that we have to read it, we have to meditate on it, and we have to memorize it. Those three things, we have to read it, we have to meditate on it, we have to think about it, we have to rehearse it in our hearts and our thoughts And then we have to memorize it. We have to get the Word of God. And that all has to be intentional. And if you value it as God does, even close, then you understand how important it is to get it in you. And when you get it in you, it's something that percolates in you it grows in you it waters your soul you grow by the word of God being in you so as the scripture tells us to meditate on it day and night that we might prosper and have great success that's all part of this uh, maturing in Christ now he says not only that he says dwell in rich dwell in you richly in all wisdom because the word of God gives you wisdom; it it causes you to be wiser as you get the word of God in you. In Psalms one nineteen ninety eight says, "You though your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. They make me wiser." The word of God got the, the commandments of the Lord. Second Timothy three fifteen says in that about Timothy that from. Childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So getting the Word of God in you makes you wiser. You'll make wiser choices. You'll see the falsehoods in front of you. You'll have greater discernment if you get the Word of God in you. Now it says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, that, that ties into this letting the Word of God dwell in you richly. But, but it's more than that. And, uh, and there is a parallel passage in the book of Ephesians that I'm going to take you to. That gives us a little bit more insight. Both of them combined together gives a real full picture. But I'm going to take you there in just a second. But I want you to see that he talks about admonishing one another, teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to bring a, a, a context to one of the more challenging portions of Scripture that we're going to look at in a few minutes that has to do with relationships and how, how relationships function and the order of relationships and so forth. So, um, but, but I want you to see something in this text which... Is, is really, I say parallel, because some of the exact same things are, are stated, but there's some other things that aren't stated in the Colossians text that are important. I'll bring them up to you. He says, therefore, he says in verse 17, chapter 5, therefore do not be wise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't you think that's a good idea? And that's what getting God's word in you does. It, it, it helps you with that. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we're looking at the same kind of same context of what directive he's going to give us. And he says, but be filled with the Spirit. Everybody say, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So, he says to be filled with the Spirit. Now, the original language here, um, it's, um, it, it's it's first of all imperative. In other words, this isn't a suggestion; it's a command. It's it, this this is a command to be filled with the Spirit. It isn't like listen when you feel like it, or if you ever want to. It's not that. It's an imperative. Com- it's a command, and. It's plural. In other words, it's not for any individual, it's for all of us. So the, the 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 original language, this word in Greek, this be filled with the Spirit, is a command for everyone. And yet it's passive, which means you can't actually be filled unless God fills you. So it's it's a command to be filled, it's for everyone, and yet God has to fill you. So, why would He command us to do something that we can't do on our own? Because there are things that we can do so that God can fill us. That's the point. There are things that God can, that we can do that so God can fill us with His Holy Spirit. And notice it uses some of the same language, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want to bring up to you is this, that there's going to, he's going to give us some directive in relationship But before he does, in both cases, he brings up this element of this this praise and worship and and edifying and building up and sharing with one another, encouraging one another, and all under the category of being filled in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And so that's because these other things that he gives us in our relationships with one another and how that all operates cannot function without being filled with the Spirit. I believe that's why the directive is in this, in this same way. I mean, why in both books, when he talks about these relationships, husband and wife relationships, relationship with, with children, and relationship with you know workmates and so forth, why does he, in both cases, give this same admonition? It seems like they're, they, they're completely different, but they're not. They're totally combined for the purpose that you cannot fulfill the relational side of your life in Christ without being filled with the Spirit. Are you with me on that? You must be filled with the Spirit. Now, he's speaking to believers. Okay? He's speaking to believers, people who already have the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, in fact, we actually talked about that earlier on in the same chapter, that when you you receive Christ, you receive the Spirit of the Lord, you become one with Him, the Holy Spirit is in you. If you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His, the Scripture says. It's very clear that you have the Holy Spirit if, in fact, you are born again. Holy Spirit's in you. So why is he saying to people who already have the Holy Spirit in them to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Aren't they? And the answer, of course, is no. Because they have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And and there is a difference between having a cup of water and having a full cup of water, right? There is a difference between having a full cup of water and having a submerged cup of water. And I would, I would um, say to you that there's levels, in fact, of filling. The, the difference is that Jesus, the Bible says, had the Spirit without measure. Okay? that was, Jesus had the Spirit without measure. You and I have the Spirit with measure. There's a measure to the level of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and I don't want us to, you know, we're not thinking of the Holy Spirit as water, but It helps us with understanding of how the filling of the Holy Spirit is in our life. And the filling, we we receive the Holy Spirit, and then you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the whole, the Holy Spirit is, you know, in you to the fullness of your life. And then there's the overflow of the Holy Spirit, which I believe is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. And and he says, listen, you have to be, this is the command, be filled with the Spirit. Well, what do you do to get filled with the Spirit? Well, he's given us some things. And those things have to do with drawing on God. Isn't it interesting when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's when he starts saying um, to us, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Why? Because as you're expressing that gratefulness and thankfulness and praise and worship unto God, as you're focused on God and you become open, the Holy Spirit fills you up. There's the Word of God in here, Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As you're singing and making melody, in your heart to the Lord. And we're going to go into much greater detail on this when we in 2 weeks when we start our series on the Holy Spirit in the scripture. But for now as we're looking at the context of this, understand that the main point is this: be filled with the spirit. Get filled with the spirit. And I don't believe that this is a once-in-a-while kind of thing that you get filled with the Spirit. I think it, this is so that you live filled with the Spirit. I, my question would be this. Have you today had an encounter with God at some point today? Hopefully that happened when we were worshiping and you were expressing your heart to the Lord. And, and maybe, hopefully you kind of, even though you're in a crowd and a group and you're worshiping, that at some point it was just you and God. And as you and God were interacting and in, in praise and worship and the presence of the Lord comes as we gather together and worship, the, you know, in his presence, there's fullness of joy kind of thing. We're in his presence as we're worshiping and praising him. He inhabits the praises of his people and so forth. That that presence starts to fill you up and you sense that nearness, that presence of the Lord in your life. Have you noticed that when you have this fullness of the Spirit in you that there's a power that you have, there is a there is a peace that you have, there is a, a confidence that you have that you, you're, you're certainly more aware of the presence of God in your life. And that's where you're to walk. You're to walk in that all day long. You're to walk with that Presence of God in your life, and as you walk in that presence of God in your life, then it 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 it, it strengthens you with abilities to do things that you couldn't otherwise do. You 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 become um, you become um, empowered by the Holy Spirit in your life, and that empowering is necessary. Now, let's go back um, to Colossians chapter 3. And he... No, I, I'm sorry. L- let, me, let me go further, a little bit further. I'm sorry. Go to... Uh, would you put up Luke chapter 11, verse 13? Because this is also part of being filled with the Spirit. It says, uh, if you then being evil... Don't you like how God refers that to us? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So a- another element of being filled with the Spirit is simply to ask. Simply to ask. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so there, it tells us also in uh, in Ephesians um, chapter 5 and verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So Ephesians starts with this relational thing. He says, listen, you get filled with the Spirit and then submit to one another in the fear of God. Why? Because I don't think That kind of really that submitting to one another is a service to one another, as we submit to one another in the fear of God. That that cannot happen, or I should say, will not happen, without being filled with the Spirit. It takes Spirit-filled living to fulfill these things that God calls us to. Now He gives. Then let's go back over to Colossians chapter three and verse eighteen, and He gives us. The ideal family structure, and so did, so does Ephesians. But we're we're studying Colossians, so <clears throat> he gives us this, and this is what I'm going to say before I get started on at, on reading these. Um, don't read your spouse's mail on this one. You know what I mean. When 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 he tells the women to do something, guys, that's not for you to read and use on them. When he tells the guys do stuff, ladies, it's not for you to read that and use it on your husband, all right? So this is, so he, he says, first of all, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, as is fitting in the Lord means that we do it as unto the Lord and the way that the Lord was in submission himself. Jesus. G- God can give us that directive because God actually operates under submission. You think, well, God did not have to be submitted to anyone. Actually, God is submitted actually to the, 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 the persons of the Godhead. Jesus was fully submitted to the Father. Think about this. The creator of the universe, he himself, Jesus, was submitted to his Father. And the Father has submitted to the Son. And the Holy Spirit has submitted to the Son in that the Holy Spirit honors the Son in everything. And yet they're one, they're in unity, they're one in in essence. So when you look at the Trinity, what you see is this perfect unity of submission. And, And it's not an issue of hierarchy. It's, a, it's an issue of submit, submitting for the benefit of the ultimate um, plan of God as uh, the counsel of God before creation counseled about what God was going to do. So, um, we, have, we have here wives to submit to your own husbands. Now, some of this is oftentimes, I've heard preachers really downplay this and say, listen, you know, this submission thing isn't really, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, and and certainly it, it isn't in everything. But understand that the submission principle is a principle, actually it's a, a military principle, that when there are purposes and plans, the, the ultimate uh, authority, if you would, in this is God. And then under that, the husband is just in submission to God, is the one who would make the ultimate and final decisions in situations that are set up. Now, it, it can feel like, well, if I have to submit to him, then, you know, he's the ruler and he gets to tell me everything to do. And that isn't really the context of what's being said here. In fact, It is a responsibility that God has given to the husband under the authority of God. I I, I would just say this. Without Christ, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. Without Christ, it it becomes a power play. With Christ, it's anything but a power play. It's anything but that. And it's understood. So, the this submission is closely tied, and we see this in ephesians to the to honor honor it's interesting that he'll and we'll read this here in a second that he tells husbands to love their wives, and in ephesians he tells wives to honor their husband and you say well what's more what's harder to do what's what's um well it has nothing to do with that it has to do with the makeup of men and women and the importance that men that men are honored are respected and that women in fact are truly loved and god knows the 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 category that is best suited by the makeup of both and i'll explain that in a second here <clears throat> He says in verse 19, husbands love your wives. Now, it seems like it can be used like, and ungodly, I would say this, um, moronic husbands that tell their wives, you're supposed to submit to me because the Bible says so, um, really don't understand what the love that he's talking about. And the mistake that is in there, in fact, the word for love there, we have a problem in our language when it comes to love. We, we love everything. I can tell my wife I love her, and then I can say I love, you know, Rocky Road ice cream. And, and she would might think I'm, I love Rocky Road I, ice cream more than I love her, but that's not true. But do you understand the point? The language, it has barriers. The 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 language that this is written in has a has more clarity, and the word that's used here is agape, and agape is the highest level of love. In fact, it's the love that when the Bible says God so loved the world, it's agape. When God when the Scripture says God loves you, it's agape. It's the undi- it's the the willing to die. In fact, the Ephesians uh, says this uh, that that. As that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So it's, it's really a willingness to die for the person that you love. It's agape. So we won't even use the word love because it, it doesn't give the full picture. It's agape. And so he says, husbands, agape your wives and do not be bitter toward them. So he gives, on one hand, a, a, re, a responsibility of leadership to the husbands and then turns around and says to the husbands, you give undying, you give you know dying love, if you would, toward your wife. You be willing to lay down your entire life for her. What do you have? You have mutual submission. That's what you have. That's why in that, in, when that's done... Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you have the best kind of binding and relationship that you can possibly have. And I believe that he tells husbands and wives, tells wives to honor her husband. Because in the flesh, the one thing that is probably most challenging for a wife when she sees and deals with an imperfect husband, let's just put it that way, is to honor that, to honor them. Not honor them or honor the thing that they might be doing that is wrong, but honor them in spite of the things that they do that would not be pleasing. And for a husband, to agape means to to love. Agape love has both emotion and action. Action first, emotion second. So, when he's asking a, a, a man to love his wife or agape his wife, I believe that the capacity to agape is easier. I'm not saying that they do it all the time better. That's not the case. But it is easier for a husband to agape his wife than for a wife to agape her husband. You'll see this in relationship. You'll see this when they'll, they'll have a, you know, husband and wife will have a, an argument. And, you know, they, they, maybe it's heated. And then just a few hours later, the, the husband goes, hey, how you doing? You know, he's wanting, he's wanting a, a little bit more uh, relational pleasure. And she goes, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And he's able to compartmentalize. Let's put it that way. My wife, was, we we're talking this week because of the issues of losing a parent and, and a lot of things that were going on and we had to go deal with some things and she was emotionally struggling, I think, a little bit more than I was at the time. And she says, I don't know how you do it. And I said, I, I compartmentalize. I'll have my moment but I'm able to compartmentalize she said, that's cuz you're a guy <laughs> I said, yeah it probably is because there there's a there's we're there is a difference and uh, and one of those things is that I think it isn't that we we're not we're the only ones know I mean women can can agape too. It's not, they can't, but I think it's easier in certain situations for a man to override maybe a a conflict or something like that to actually do this. Doesn't mean we always do, but it's easier. And so God gives us different responsibilities to benefit us as a family as a whole. And this is how it works. Now, in my life, I understand this principle, and it works great. Because I boss Carol around all the time. <laughs> you know that isn't true. You, you can't boss Carol around. I mean, she. My wife is a strong woman, who makes decisions, and you. If you know her, you know that about her. That, and and I think you can tell. You cannot, You. It's easy to see. Um, the kind of husband a person is by their wife. And the other way around. I think it's easy to see what kind of wife he has because, you know, the, hus- the, the husband has because of if you look at the husband and you see him in action long enough, you see the interaction that goes on. That that relationship is not one of dominance. But there is a, a submission at points that is given, and it is given knowing that it's the Lord, that the Lord has worked in her life to the place that my wife can submit. When we come to a situation, we go, and we have a disagreement, and we can't come, we can, and, and we have to. And this is why I think submission is most valuable and use, is when you come to a crossroad that has to have an answer. See, if we come to a crossroad and it doesn't have, no decision has to be made right now, we don't make it until we have agreement. But if there's a crossroad and there has to be an answer, Carol will submit and she'll say, okay, you just make the decision. When she does that, that puts fear in me. Because at that point I have to make a decision and know I'm responsible. So sometimes I'll just go, "Yeah, we'll just go with your 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 decision." (laughs) That's the way it works. And in a healthy relationship, listen, that works really well. It works really well, and and so god gives us i think the be- see what he does is he takes the competitiveness out of a marriage relationship cuz marriage marriage that is is in competition husband wife that are in competition can never have the best kind of marriage you just can't have it so <clears throat> he says Then he gets, now he gives a little advice for children. Children, obey your parents in all things. Now, I like to read that scripture to my children when they're growing up. Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. No, I never read that to them. But, you know, the scripture does say, honor your father and mother. That might be well with you, and you might live long on the earth. That's a promise of God. So, um, he gives direction to children. And says, This is well pleasing to the Lord. And then remember, this is all under the being filled with the Holy Spirit. Fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So, parent, and it specifically talks to fathers who sometimes just want to kind of control the situation. And if you're a controller, a controlling dad, um, then don't provoke your children, he says. Don't provoke your children. Controlling parents, and I'm not talking about giving direction. There's a responsibility as a parent to give direction to your kids and to say no. There is absolutely a responsibility. But there comes a point when, if if a parent is unhealthy, an unhealthy parent wants to completely control every aspect of their growing up children's life. And there's, there's as kids grow up, they, they need to have uh, the ability to make some decisions on their own, else when they fully get out on their own, they can't make them on their own. And so, parents that are controlled, now, I, I've dealt over the years, and I wanna make just an observation, that as people, who have been abused when they were growing up, oftentimes are, have an anxiety about being out of control. So if they live in a home of you know, an alcoholic, mother and father, and, and they were abusive, or in a home that was abusive and it was out of control, as they grow up, what they want to do is control everything around their life. Now, it it's not everybody has this, but it does. It, this is where it mostly happens. And so that person wants to control everything around their life because their life was out of control. And sometimes that gets to the place of being very controlling, a husband over a wife or over children, when that has been. And it's, so it, it's, it's in that unhealthiness, I think that, this really, this scripture really kind of stands out when he says don't provoke your children. Don't, don't be that person that controls everything in their life. But be the one who gives direction, helps them to understand. Um, certainly at certain age groups, there is a, a certain level. And we don't go by the world's concept of how to raise our children. Yeah, don't raise your, ki- your kids like the world says to raise your kids. That doesn't work. So, he says, <clears throat> um, then he goes, bond servants, obey all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. So, keep your focus in the right place. And knowing that from the Lord, you will receive reward of your inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, a bondservant is really like an employee today. A bondservant was someone who willfully chose to be a slave. We'll use that, that's the real term. But actually, the, the, the scripture uses servant because it was more like a servant than a slave in in our thinking of how, what slavery is. Because this person actually chose to be a slave because in those days it could be much, a much better life than trying to survive on your own in certain environments. And so he says about this person, he says, listen, don't serve as, you know, just when your master's looking at you, be fair. Do right. He's taking care of you. He's, he's protecting you. He's giving you of his resources. It's the same thing. So in our world, that, that has to do with employees. That if you're an employee, you don't. I, I told Carol and I were at the store yesterday, actually. And I was sitting. She went in the store. I sat in my car, and I was doing some work on my phone. And, uh, and I saw the guy who cu- came out to get the carts, And I told her he could not have been walking slower. If he walked any slower, he'd fall over. (laughs) Because he was literally like this. And I watched him. And then he'd go get a cart. (laughs) Now, they're paying him by the hour. I don't know, but minimum $15 an hour, right? (laughs) I think think he took an hour just to get a stack of of carts. I says, that that guy should be fired, right? Nobody's watching him. Point being, um, if we are serving, we're serving unto the Lord in all of things. They say, well, he's only talking to my employees. No, he talks to employers too. He says, um, verse one of chapter four: Slave owners be our bond servant, Slave owners. Be fair and honest with your slaves. Don't forget that you have a master in heaven. So if you're an employer, it so says, you be fair. You, you, you pay them what they deserve. You, you help them and you give them the time off that they need and stop being a Scrooge. You know, make sure that you are doing it as unto God too. The point being that we treat one another the way that we'd want to be treated ourselves. And we do it by honoring God. Say, well, I want, I, you know, if I, if I pay them more, then I'm going to have less here and that. Is that right? What, was, what does God want? Let's be filled with the Spirit. We can live out these things in our life. And our relationships will be better, be healthier, and God will bless us. As we do, Heavenly Father, thank you for this instruction, Lord. um, We just we, we just kind of try to make our way around so many things by by making decisions on our own and not considering you. And Lord, you've asked us to be filled with the Spirit. And, Lord, to allow us to have the power to live out our lives in such a way that really does bring blessing to others and to ourselves and to the kingdom. And I pray that, Lord, today as we um, are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, that, Lord, we take that command understanding that you're the one that has to fill us. But, Lord, we want to position ourselves for full empowering fulfillment of Lord, the fullness of your Holy Spirit in our life. And we lift our hearts to you in praise and worship. And Lord, I pray for anyone that has not received Christ, that Lord, today they would say yes to you, invite you into their life, trust that Lord, your death and burial and resurrection provided salvation for them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Are you ready to just close? Let's, let's get filled with the Holy Spirit, let's do that. I don't know.